Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Hey, Rob. Happy to be here. Good to have you. Welcome to another episode of The Dental Amigos, where we seek to demystify the business of dentistry and teach you the stuff that you didn't learn in dental school, but wish you did. Uh, Today, we have a a very special guest, uh, a friend of ours, um, a a true amigo, and a longtime amigo, uh, Jamie Amos, uh, who is really considered by most people to be the uh, the foremost consultant in the in the startup dental world. Uh, Jamie is the CEO of Ideal Practices, which is dentistry's elite startup practice consulting firm. He and his team of consultants work with a limited number of private practice dentists each year to open highly successful new practices. Jamie's also the best-selling author of Choosing the Right Practice Location. He's the host of the Ideal Practices podcast, the founder of HowToOpenTheDentalOffice.com, creator of the Startup Practice Blueprint course. Uh, Jamie has spoken uh, on international stages uh, for dentists and two dentists, like the Voices of Dentistry, dental schools, residency programs around the country, study clubs, and other venues. And the Ideal Practices team uh, that works with Jamie devotes thousands of hours a year helping dentists open successful startup practices that make meaningful, value-focused impacts in their communities. Idle Practices publications have been featured in media like Dental Town, Dental Products Report, Dental Entrepreneur, Ignite DDS, The Progressive Dentist, and many others. Jamie's a really good guy who's uh, been a personal inspiration to me, and if you haven't had the chance to hear Jamie live yet, you really need to. Uh, I've had the pleasure of hearing Jamie speak on a number of occasions, and even though I'm not a member of the targeted profession, the, the dentists, uh, I always have good takeaways from his seminars and podcasts that I'm able to apply to my law business. And I think that when you're looking for a consultant to help you with your practice, you're going to be really well served to look at how that consultant runs his own business. And Jamie and his partner, Stephen Trutter, have really done a magnificent job with how, how they run their business. Uh, and in addition to all that, uh, Jamie's you know, flat out a good human being uh, who is active in service projects overseas, uh, including Ideal Practices Initiative to provide funding for 10 startup businesses in third world countries every time they help open one startup dental practice in the United States. And now, uh, without further ado, here's Jamie Amos. Welcome, amigo, and thanks for being on the show. Hello, amigos. It is really, really good to be here. It's I'm just honored because I, I've uh, I've been able to hang out with you guys and bump into you guys informally and professionally. But now uh, on a recording, this kind of takes our relationship to a whole new level. This is this is going to be awesome. We're officially amigos. Yeah, now. that's the whole point. We're at the next level. We did it. <laughs> amigo level. We yeah, amigo it. level. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. 
I love the intro, by the way. It's really cool to hear. And I like that kind of legal disclaimer that says, because Rob's an attorney, and I would actually vote best attorney in dentistry. <laughs> Thank you. Told. But I like how it says, uh, this is le not legal advice because Rob is an attorney and it's being recorded or something. So my question is, uh, because you can't give, uh, because what you say can't be considered legal advice, is it okay if what I say is considered legal advice? <laughs> Fair game. Fair game. <laughs> nice. Totally kidding. <laughs> what you're saying is good advice. Stupid That's for question. darn sure. <laughs> Whatever we want to call it. Well, thank you guys for having me. This is, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again for being with us. So yeah, before we talk about startup practices and things that affect dentists, you know, I, I want to talk a little more holistically uh, with you, Jamie, about you know, what you do in your business and what you do for dental businesses generally. Um, you know, and I've, I've observed that you have a very systemic approach for, for startups and, and frankly, a very systemic approach for your own business. Um, you know, where did you learn that? I mean, where, where did that muscle come from? You know, did you have mentors or inspirations? Like where does somebody kind of get the training for that purposeful thought? Because one of the things that we kind of touch on in different ways on the show is really just the importance of being purposeful in what you're doing. That if you just kind of trip through the process, you know, that you really just sort of leave yourself and your business to, to, to fate. And uh, that is the exact opposite of what you do. But I, I'm curious, like where, where did you get that, that trait, which I really respect? Oh, thanks. I, I, uh, I, I love those, those concepts like uh, purposeful, a term like that implies so much. There's, there's depth, but there's brevity there. It means you're pursuing something specific, but it's light in terms of it's what you want. Um, one of my favorite words in the English language is intentional. Intentional being we've got a direction, we've got a plan, we, we know what we're doing. We're kind of, we know why we're doing what we're doing, and we're actually headed somewhere in particular. Um, and I think in business in general, the more intentional a business owner can be in dentistry or otherwise, if you are intentional, you can serve people well. It's really hard to accidentally create great successes mm -hmm. or uh, transform people's lives or serve people beautifully. It's hard to do those things accidentally. I mean, I guess you could. You could kind of stumble into becoming Mother Teresa, maybe. Maybe you could stumble into you know, helping someone cross the street or something. But I, I believe that, the, that intentionality in business and in life allows us to serve people and help transform lives. And that's what it's about. Uh, you know, business only matters to the extent that we can serve others. If we're not serving well, we're not going to make an impact. So in order to do that, I believe we have to be intentional or purposeful. And to answer your question about systems, I think systems allow us to get there. I think we can have an intention to go pursue and then systems, processes, uh, systems allow, give us the structure to do that efficiently. So a system allows us to get there efficiently. And the best part is it'll allow us to do it over and over again. So we can get there efficiently, we can do it over and over again, and then we can be intentional about where we're headed. So I, I love that topic. It's interesting that you observe it. We've got systems, for, <laughs> we have systems for everything with ideal practices. As we help startup practices open, we have you know, the 13 stages to open your practice right. and the seven uh, criteria for selecting a contractor and the 11 p standards of working with equipment companies. You know, we have systems for everything. Um, but I believe it's for the purpose of serving people well with an intentional outcome, uh, and, and then we can really make a great impact together. So, 
And really, how did how did you? Thanks do, for the observation. That's, yeah, well, thanks for the observation, by the way. I have, and, and you know, like I said, some of the stuff you know, directly, or even you know, maybe in a subliminal way, listening to Jamie Amos kind of soaked in my brain that you know I've kind of tried to to implement a lot of that stuff myself in my own business in my life um, as a result of that, and uh, I think it's it, it comes through, and and you know, the people that we see in the world that that approach their businesses and, and their lives that way. Are, are the people that are happy and, and successful, you know? Mm. And you mm. truly, I find that it's hard to have control uh, over a situation if you're not purposeful. And when you don't have control is when you become stressed and unhappy. When I was nine years old, I was a paper boy. <laughs> and uh, we, we didn't have much uh, money in my family. Um, I literally had to buy my own toys and all my games and even some of my clothes. And it was a great experience from nine to, I think, 16 years old, 14 years old or something. I had this paper route. Uh, I think back then I had to create systems so I could get off my bike and get out of the cold because <laughs> I'd ride my bike around the neighborhood without good systems of how to fold the rubber band, how to fold the newspapers quickly and put the rubber bands on and a, a proven track around the neighborhood with a system of getting in and out of each person's particular driveway set up with their front door without a system in place for those things. Then it gets slow. And I got cold, and I just wanted to go back home and stay warm. So maybe it came from my days of being a paper boy. There you go. It goes back a long way. That doesn't surprise me at all, uh, because you, you certainly <laughs> perfected it. So I think that, you know this. The next question I have is, I, I think I know how you're going to answer it, but I think it'll be interesting for our listeners to hear. Yeah, you know, how do you measure success for yourself personally, and and then how do you hope that your clients would would measure success, Jamie? Mm, so that's a question that I, I actually ask myself a lot. Um, what matters, right? What, what, what matters? What is success? And I'm confident that it's a, it's a blend between transforming people's lives and knowing what will make you fulfilled. So the, the first part probably isn't too different from most people. But if you look at any business that has an incredible track record, they've transformed lives. They have served people really well. But look at even like Apple, right? Apple makes the iPhone. They have transformed people's lives with this funny little plastic thing, right? right. <laughs> They've transformed lives with it. In dentistry, dentists get to do the same thing. Dentists get to transform people's lives. Uh, many of our high-level consulting clients, they say, some of my most rewarding cases, some of the cases that I just enjoy most deeply are the ones where a patient will look up at me and say, this looks amazing. Thank you. You just transform somebody's life. So I, I think that my version of success, transforming people's lives and having a, a specific uh, understanding of what will make you fulfilled in that process. So in, in business, this, allow me to say this, this might, sound, this might come across as wrong if you don't listen to the whole thing, but I think in business, uh, one of the primary goals of a small privately held business, small and private, privately held business, meaning not a publicly traded company, a private held business, I believe, one of the primary goals is to make the owner happy. I like that, Jamie. If the, if the owner isn't happy, my opinion is, well, then who else in the business is happy? Mm, Are the yeah. customers, or in, in dentistry's case, can the patients really be happy if the owner shows up grumpy every day? Mm, I don't know. Can the staff be happy, or can the team serve patients well if the owner is unhappy or grumpy or angry or... So I think one of the primary goals for a small business, 
uh, is to make the owner happy. And this ties into a startup, of course. For a startup, that means we need to know up front, before we even consider what town we're going to go to, what's going to make you fulfilled? What's going to make you happy? And then we can be intentional with that pursuit. So there we go back to my word of intentional, but then we can go pursue that. So uh, there's a long answer for you. There's my whole answer. So it doesn't come off as self-serving. It's not about being self-serving to be happy. It's so that you can serve more people if you're happy. Makes sense. Makes a whole lot of sense. And it sort of sort of leads into my, my next question, which is, you know, what are some of the ways that ideal practices is different from other consulting firms? I mean, I, I suspect that what you're talking about, uh, what you just spoke of a moment ago, is not sort of the normal protocol in the industry. <laughs> I don't, I'm a, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know. I, I, uh, uh, I'm not a dentist and I have a degree in international business. I launched a small business straight out of undergrad and it did really well. We did a million dollars in our first year of business and I bought a bunch of real estate. I, over time, I found how real estate and demographics and small business, how these things could fit together to help dentists. And it was, the results were, they inspired me. They were really impressive how these things combined together. Real estate, which I had experience in at that point, and small business, which I had experience in at that point, um, how they combined to help dentists. I, uh, I guess my outsider's opinion, <laughs> being from the non-dental industry, is a little oblivious uh, because I, I, I don't understand how other consultants inside of dentistry necessarily work or think. Um, I just like to find the, the most efficient, repeatable, dependable process to help open successful startups in dentistry. So I spend all my time on that. Whatever it takes to do that doctors become fulfilled with a custom practice um that's that's kind of all i know <laughs> that's about all my team and i know yeah that's good that makes sense uh now jamie are there you don't just take on any client that, that comes in the door either i mean are, are there certain traits or certain things that you guys look for when you're basically screening clients to decide whether or not it makes sense to to work with them i May, yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of people who have asked to work with us, and we have a, an application process. But I think this kind of goes back to, well, you guys know, you know, Paul, in, in your practice, how cool would it be if all of your patients were like that favorite patient you had from a couple months ago? Oh yeah, I mean that would that would be great. I mean, I I uh, come through most of my dental work from the acquisition side personally, and in, in, in selling practices, but I see from the startup side, there's just a lot of. I think every dentist wishes they could do a startup at some point in their career because they could make it how they want to make it. But I think, you know, it's a, a daunting task. I, I think it's awesome that you've, you're solving this problem for dentists. I'm looking forward to hearing more about, you know, your, your process. But I, that would be great if you had patients that, you know, you built your own culture and could do things the way you wanted to do. Yeah, if you could, if you could kind of reverse reverse time all the way back to the first day you stepped into practice ownership and you could just define one kind of patient and you could find a town that was filled with those kinds of patients and you could have a marketing strategy that appealed to those kinds of patients and then you could build your team around very customized solutions to create an incredible experience for those kinds of patients you can probably guess how it would start to compound right you can probably guess how huh maybe not all 2000 patients 
are the best, but there's a lot more than if I just left it to chance. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally I, see that. I, I just like to think, well, you know, there, there is a way to reverse engineer this to get a higher percentage of patients who you really enjoy in your practice. So since we can pre-plan some of this stuff, most of it, I, I believe, let's, let's do that. Let's not miss the chance. Because once you step forward and start signing leases or start making long-term commitments to things in dentistry, man, you're stuck for a long, <laughs> for better or worse, you're stuck for a long time. So I like to try to avoid problems instead of fix problems. If we can avoid problems instead of fix problems, I think life life's a lot more enjoyable. You're preaching to the choir. I mean, you sound like a lawyer now. That's yeah, I mean, yeah. how many times I tell people <laughs> that? Like, you know, what's the cost? What does this cost? Well, it's a lot cheaper to, to do it right than it is to try to fix it 10 years from now. I can tell you that. You know, it's a tenth of the uh -huh. price if that makes you feel better. Um, so, yeah, I mean. The, the ability to, to, to head off problems and to, to solve problems that people, well, before they even become problems or that, that the clients don't even know about is the, uh, the true measure of a, of a good advisor, I think. Um, and I think this is probably a, a good segue into uh, where I'd like to go next, which is uh, yesterday, uh, Jamie graciously uh, posted on the, uh, the Facebook group, The Making of a Dental Startup, uh, that you were going to be on the podcast today and ask the, uh, the members there if they had any questions to ask. So I think uh, if you were up for kind of rolling through some of those, um, I think sure. and they, that would kind of fit where we are in our conversation. I think the first one that was, I'd like to it talk It was fascinating about. to me, by the way, to see how many people jumped in with, uh, with uh, questions. And kudos to you guys. Uh, your, your names kind of lit up the board. <laughs> <laughs> like back in the old phone switch days, oh, the phones you. would light up the board. I, I think they like putting your guys' names out there. You guys are like uh, like the dental celebrities. And now that your powers are combined through the power of nachos, <laughs> yeah, <thanks. laughs> nachos are the powerful. Green, things. The yellow, the yellow nacho gooey cheese that holds you two guys together is transforming dentistry. It's it, cheese whiz. Uh, light up the yeah, yeah. cheese whiz. We're in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Uh, cheese, cheese whiz is a, is a, is a delicacy here on, you know, on, on a cheese stick, right? Exactly. Showing our true colors. Yeah. Uh, I love it. But it was neat. It was, it was cool to see that. And thanks for doing that. So one question that a few people asked and kind of asked it different ways, but, you know, I hear it a lot and, and I know you hear it a lot more, which is startup versus acquisition. You know, what, which mm. is better and why? And so... I, I've got a, an opinion on this, and you've you've heard it, and I've heard you uh, your opinion on this, Jamie. But why don't you take the first uh, first crack at that one? Oof! Oh man, that is such a good question, and I think the answer has to start with what you want. I I, I think the 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 solution the the right answer to which is which is better depends on your preferences and depends on what you want out of your career in dentistry and what you want to pursue. Um, you know, Paul, you've, man, how many hundreds or thousands of practices have you helped doctors analyze for acquisitions, right? How many variations of existing practices are out there? Oh, there, right? it's all, all over the map, you know, in terms of size, scope, the way it's run. It's, it's, uh, it's an interesting world acquisition. It's one I know well, uh, from my own personal practices as well as doing you know the transitions brokering but uh i'm excited to hear about the startup process not to 
jump ahead to it at all, but I always, I get the question from, you know, young buyers asking me for help and I'm totally encourage them to consider a startup. I just don't feel comfortable, you know, guiding them. I guide them to, you know, someone like you to talk to, but if you could give our listeners some, you know, just some experiences you've had with young dentists or don't even have to be young, you know, kind of weighing these two things against each other. Yeah. So I'll give a shout out. I promised a couple of shout outs. The person who asked the question in this Facebook thread was Alex Sharp. So Alex, here's a acquisition and startup related questions. Um, so Paul, as we're kind of talking through this, let me, let me throw a, a, a lob up a simple question here. What, uh, how many, if you had 15 practices that you were showing buyers, how many cultures, how many different cultures of practices would you say there exist in those 15 different practices? I mean, it's really all, all 15 because the dentists yeah, rarely talk right. to each other. So they're just all out there dentisting the way they, you know, know how. And each of those dentists, I would argue, each of those dentists has a practice that kind of reflects their own personality, whether or not they mean to. I like to call that practice DNA, right? Oh, Inter for sure. The I way mean, they I, interact with their I mean, I, team, the, the way they... Totally. I mean, and what you said about the patients were true. It's, it's interesting because I deal with dentists of all ages. I mean, there's, I, what's the saying? Like people start to look like their dogs or vice versa. I always say, <laughs> you know, dental patients start to look like their dentist and vice versa at age 70. And, you know, they start walking and talking the same dentally, right? So, you know, the, the, the watch <laughs> yeah. a dentist, dentist, nothing against that guy. His, when, you, you know, his patient breaks a tooth, he says, ah, you know, we'll patch it versus a different type of dentist with a different mm -hmm. culture. And I just think what's super difficult on a young buyer is you can't really capture that culture in the meetings you have with the dentist. Sometimes they stay, sometimes they don't stay. But, you know, it presents with unique. I mean, I've, I've taken over cultures and it's, it's not easy to even find out what the culture is. Yeah. Well, I think what Jamie said yeah, uh, a few minutes ago is really spot on, though. When you talk about, you know, what do you want, what, what brings you happiness, you know, to be able to treat the patients that you want to treat in the place that you want to treat them, the way you want to treat them is a very individual and personal thing. You know, it's like, you know, plug, you know, plug Paul Goodman into Rob Montgomery's life. You know, my happiest day, Paul might be like, this sucks. Like this, this, like this, this, makes, like this makes Rob like, happy. You know? both like wine, so <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> You're happy reading through hundreds of legal documents. Yeah. How yeah. is that fun? This is terrible. I can't, I can't, I can't, I hate this guy's life. Like, how does this make him happy? But, well, you know, trying to, to plug yourself into to somebody else's practice is, is not an easy thing. And, yeah. you know, we see that a lot. You know, if people look That's at practices and they're like, well, this is a, this is really a, a poorly performing practice. I, I really don't, you know, we need to change the appearance. So we, we need to get rid of this, the staff, the front office, and uh, all these things are not good. And you know, so, well, then why are you buying this? You know, like this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you don't like it. It's like going into like a car showroom and like, do you like this car? I hate it. I want to buy it. You know, why? Why, why do you want to buy that? You know, you just told me you don't like it. Uh, so I, I, that ter the term practice DNA, I think signifies so much in acquisitions. Every practice has its own DNA and its own culture. And DNA, like we all know, DNA is really hard to change, right? You can change it with something like a nuclear bomb. <laughs> Kaboom! Uh -huh. You can change it if you want <laughs> and create a different DNA strand, perhaps, but it's really hard to change DNA. So I like to say 
they're t- my humble opinion. I, I've talked to a lot of doctors about acquisitions and startups and talked to a lot of doctors who regret the, 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 the fixing that they have to do in that process. And here's my opinion. From my humble perspective, I'm not an acquisition guy. I defer to, I defer to guys like you two to talk about acquisitions in depth, but it, I, I like to try to make it simple on my mind. And I like to think there are really two criteria to consider purchasing a practice. If you're looking to be a business owner, that's important. If you're looking to be a business owner, two criteria. Number one, the practice has to be doing over a million dollars in revenue. Why? Well, at a million dollars of revenue, you really start to see a business structure, not just a practice job. Mm, right. The difference between a business structure and a practice job. So we could go into the weeds on that topic, but you probably see what I mean. So number one, a million dollars in revenue. Number two is a surfer dentist should only buy a surfer dentist's practice. And I'm convinced. What do you mean by that, Jamie? <laughs> well, a surfer dentist, you can probably imagine, gives the hang loose sign, maybe has some long blonde hair, he's tan, he takes off to go surfing and uh, over lunch break, he might be in California. And that dentist's practice has a very specific way of connecting with patients. Right. Therefore, no other buyer should consider that practice unless they too are a surfer dentist. Because when they step in, like the team is going to have an expectation and a rhythm. It's not right or wrong, but they're going to have a rhythm of communicating with patients and a rhythm of talking with the doctor and a rhythm of serving their community. What that practice is known for has been determined already. So I think if you're going to purchase a practice, look for the culture and remember the surfer dentist and look to see if you are the same culture as that other person. So those would be my two humble criteria for an acquisition. If you want to be really happy without having to go fix everything <laughs> the day you buy the place, those yeah. two criteria. It's a good point, you know, and, and, and I have this conversation a lot with clients, you know, where they talk about whether they should do a startup or an acquisition. And ultimately, I, I approach it as, look, you want to be a practice owner. That's what we're, that's what we're talking about. Now, let's talk about mm-hmm. the path to that ownership. And I always encourage people to keep an open mind. Like, don't just go into it saying, I only will do a startup or I only want to do an acquisition. You know, the reality, mm-hmm. in my opinion, if you can find the perfect acquisition with a practice, let's just say, you know, that's doing $1.3 million in revenue, culturally, it's a surfer practice, you're a surfer, all this checks out. Is that better than doing a startup? Quite likely. Yes. You know? But yes. Good, I, good luck finding yeah. that unicorn, you know, like they're out there, <laughs> yes. but good luck. And, yep. and, you know, when we talk about your threshold of the million dollars, that's interesting for me now, Jamie, because the, the world of, of dental transitions has changed so much in the last yeah. 22 years that I've been doing this, you know, and, and I had clients that built really big group practices in the like early 2000s doing all kinds of acquisitions. We'd show up for a deal. We would present you know, the asset purchase agreement and the seller would say, oh, I don't like this or that. Too bad. That's it. We're not going to make any changes. We could do that you know, because it was really a, a buyer's market. Now, if you're you know, a dentist that's been out for seven or eight years, you're looking to buy you know, what you talk about, which is the, the business. You know, at a million bucks, you're buying a, a good business. Um, you've got a lot of competition with DSOs. You know, like those practices are really hard to find. 
and what you might, as a as an owner operator, might be willing to pay, you know, seven hundred thousand, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for, a DSO might be willing to pay a million. So like, it's really yeah. hard for a lot of people to find that opportunity. And what I see is like the classic settling. Like I, I couldn't get that practice. So I'm just going to buy this other lousy practice, you know. And then, and then we talk about it. <laughs> right. yeah, like why why yep. why is you know, you want to buy this practice, you know, it maybe the, you know, the, the, the doc has been, you know, in practice for, uh, I don't know, you know, 30 years. And his life's work is this practice that, that grosses $450,000. Nothing against people. But, you know, is that the business that you look at and say, wow, I want that business? You know, like, that's mm -hmm. not, you know, it, it's not something that is fired in all cylinders. It, it, it's, it's got, you know, maybe in the best case scenario, it can be fixed. But maybe it can't be fixed, you know, Paul. I mean, you see these practices. You know, one like thing I wanted to add, and maybe you know, I always, Jamie. Actually, I'd like to just take a time. I, w I was, uh, you were the first person to invite me on a podcast, and now I've been on, you know, forty-seven podcasts since then. So you know, I appreciate Ooh. you for getting my start. <laughs> wow. Is but that I, a real number? Cool. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't it's know. Close. It's, it's close, right? But <laughs> I, I was very nervous for that one with you, Jamie. And I mean, you were awesome. And I just remember, you know, you saying a lot of things about delivering value. So I'll, you know. Uh, reuse one of your lines, but maybe to deliver some value to you and Rob and, you know, other amigo Dan, because I'm the only one who's gone through dental school here. You know, you probably might get the sense that dental school is not a place that's built around happiness, right? And, you know, a lot of professional schools are like that. But would you agree that a lot of dentists have been through a difficult time to get to their associate then ownership position? Yeah, many of them kind of show up at the finish line out of gas. Yeah, so what I'm saying is I've it was... I've literally had some people say to me, you know, I finished dental school and I wonder if this is the right profession for me. Yeah, and, and, and I think, and I think this is just so great. Oh, no. Yeah, but I don't think you and Rob and, and uh, you know, our, our, our producer, Mugo Dan, can appreciate the dental journey because you haven't done it and you probably are not going to go back and do it. And... I don't know if Dennis, you know, the conversation Rob had about being happy and choosing things, it's really, it's a great conversation. But as someone who does acquisitions and now sales practices, a lot of times dentists aren't so concerned with reaching for happiness. They're kind of, you know, I don't, I don't really want to use his uh, big words here, but they want a practice that is like not mess upable, right? They don't want to be able to mess it up. And even though yeah. you and Rob may look at these acquisitions in such a way that are not a super positive one, you know, the the reality is a lot of these acquisitions work out, you know, but that may not be your goal in life, just to have something work out for you. And I think that's why startups, even to me, you know, 40 years old, done a lot of different practice things. I feel like I have a lot of different skills. It would still be daunting to me. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how, you know, when you have these clients in front of you that you've taken on, you know, maybe a a walk through the startup journey or we have here, you know, when is someone ready for that? Because I'm, you know, personally just super interested in hearing about that. Can I just stop sure. for a second before yeah, Jamie speaks? Because, yeah, before before Jamie answers that, because I'm interested in hearing that too. You know, to me, I think if so you're looking at a startup versus an acquisition, you know, it's the type of people that, you know, you can do a startup the right way and it's not risky. And I think that's a huge misconception. Yeah, but I believe true. That, you know, a startup, does a startup mean that you just, hang out a shingle one day and hope patients show up. Let me tell you, anybody that's listening that's planning on doing a startup that way, do not do that. That is a recipe for failure. You know, if, if you do things in a purposeful way, you can control 
your your destiny with your practice, and you you can make yourself happy. I mean, and I think you know I you're you're right to some extent, and I've been spoiled to a large extent because a lot of the startup clients I work with are clients also of Jamie's, and I've I've heard and been to Jamie's presentations, and I see the people that are there that are the people that are you know the people that we all want to be as business people. They're focused. They're goal oriented. They've got a plan. They 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 they're you know brave enough to execute on it. It takes guts to do that. But if you're willing to do that, it's not this like horrible risky venture. You know that um, you you can you can be put yourself in a better position by doing a startup than doing a bad acquisition. And look, at the end of the day, I guess there are a lot of people out there that are, that are happy not failing. But if your goal in life is to not fail. You know, if you want to just get C's and D's, you can, but you can get A's too. Uh, and and if, if you're really willing to, to put the work in. And that A, to your point, that, that, that getting an A in practice ownership and in your career, and I would say even in your life, your ability to transform your community and serve the people you care about, all those things that are really enjoyable about the human experience, that A is totally different from the workoutable. Right? Very different from the workoutable, will it work out? So uh, if I could, I can share a couple of concepts from our course that we, we have the Startup Practice Blueprint course. Um, hey, Jamie, can you just hold on for a second with that? Um, before we do that, sure. um, I just want to take a, a quick break um, and just uh, tell everybody, remind everybody about our course that's coming up in uh, March 9th and 10th here in, uh, in Philadelphia at the... Uh, the Union League of Philadelphia. Paul, you want to yeah, talk the, about the, the our two speakers? Day, the, the two day Dental Amigos event. Uh, we've got a great lineup. Friday afternoon is going to be a lot about the business of dentistry with uh, Rob and I, as well as uh, the Larry David and Howard Stern of dentistry, Dr. Stephen Maltner from Florida, and uh, the dental hack himself, Dr. Jason Lipsicone, talking about multi practice ownership. That's a uh, going to be on Friday and then on Saturday. Wait, you forgot. Oh, followed yeah. by. Oh, yeah, followed. The most important part. Yes, yeah. the cocktail hour. Yeah, followed yes. by <laughs> a, 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 a complimentary cocktail hour. Uh, the, the favorite price for dentists, free. And uh, then on Saturday, we're going to have uh, the world-renowned Dr. Corey Glenn talking about digital dentistry and all the things he's inventing in his sort of Corey Glenn workspace and laboratory. So you don't want to miss out on a uh, this opportunity after Corey's seen us in Philadelphia, he'll be going to uh, Guatemala and Croatia. So we were one of his stops on the Corey Glenn tour. Now, uh, Rob, you are able to get us some great rooms at the Union League. Yeah, so it's a, it would be a great time to, uh, to come to Philadelphia for the weekend and uh, meet some amigos and uh, get some CE credits, which yeah. there are CE yeah. credits yeah, too. Yeah, we have 10, you... uh, 10 CE credits being offered, and you can sign up at uh, net. You also can look in the show notes for this episode for the registration page. Yeah, sounds good. Now, uh, Jamie, uh, if you can, you were starting to talk about uh, what your practice blueprint looks like uh, for the for your startups. Yeah, the, by the way, Philadelphia is one of my favorite cities of all time, and the Union League is one of the coolest places to go in terms of the venue. Gorgeous old history there right near downtown Philadelphia. You're just a couple blocks from the Liberty Bell. You're a couple of blocks from where they literally signed the Declaration yeah, of Independence. Right. It's like one of the most momentous moments in the history of this great country is what, Rob? Six blocks? Eight blocks? Uh, from, yeah. From uh, the Union League. Six blocks, yeah. yeah. I can see. I mean, it's birthplace of our nation. It's your, it's your patriotic duty to come to the Amigos uh, <laughs> as a <event. laughs> 
Yes, go to Philadelphia. It's amazing. It's, it's the coolest historical city, I think, that exists in our country. So, um, yeah, the, the Startup Practice Blueprint course, uh, one of the foundational topics that we cover there plays into everything that we've been talking about, and it's three levels. If you, if you can imagine, if you can visualize a three-step staircase, just a simple little zigzag line of three steps that you might write down on a piece of paper. The first step, this kind of encapsulates practice ownership and specifically startups. The first step is the startup practices that are open. These are three possibilities for startups to understand how this whole thing works. The first step as a possibility for startups is that it's a practice that is open. The second step, going one step up this staircase, is practices that are successful. And the third step is practice owners that are fulfilled. So these three steps, these are the three possibilities for startups. Open as the first level, successful as the second level, and fulfilled as the third level. So to, to kind of illustrate this, one of our high level consulting clients out, um, she's outside of Denver. She opened up earlier this year, and uh, <laughs> amazingly, after four days, she had 209 new patients. That's a lot. For anybody who doesn't know, the average in America is 25 per month. Wow. She had 209 in her first four days. And the cool thing is, you know, Rob, you alluded to, if this can be done, if doctors can do this, if, 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 guess what? She had zero business experience, none. 99 some percent of our high level consulting clients have zero business experience and they're producing over a million dollars a year in their first year many times. In her case, 209 patients in her first four days. And I had a little recap discussion with her and I said, Lauren, how you feeling? She said, amazing, this is so cool. She said, but you know what? I get it now. Like what you guys talk about in your courses, I'm not just open. Yes, I have a practice that's gorgeous. Yes, I have a practice that I love, but I, I, I'm kind of reaching this financial place even in my first month where I'm reaching this success level. And it's not about the dollars. It's not about the money necessarily, but there are these things called bills to pay. So let's, let's make the practice profitable, right? But then the third level is, she said something like, and my gosh, Jamie, the patients who are coming in, many of them are my ideal patient. Many of them are patients who I just love being with, not just having as a patient, but actually being with. So if I can kind of rewind, many doctors, actually one of the doctors, uh, my good friend, Dr. Greg May, um, Greg is just a wealth of knowledge and information, and he spoke at one of the big CE events I did in Miami um, last year. We hosted one, and Greg spoke. Well, Greg posted a comment on that uh, questions list from the Facebook group. Remember, I mentioned the long list of questions in that Facebook group. His question was, what's the best marketing tip that, that you see in the country? And I like to answer that question with this kind of situation. There isn't one best marketing tip to, to bring her practice to a place where she could grow that quickly. It actually took about a year and a half of planning. It wasn't like there was one special postcard that bing, <laughs> throw in the postcard and poof, out come 200 patients. Magic. <laughs> it took a couple of <laughs> right. I thought, it, I thought it, it Jamie Amos just showed up and yeah, said right, abracadabra yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they, they all appeared. I... <laughs> Just while we're doing this, Jamie, it was so interesting to me. Could you just, on a side note, what was any of these dentists, are they, just because I'm curious and most of our listeners are going to be dentists, are they working at their associate position during this year and a half? Are they 
doing a hybrid thing? I mean, yep. what, what's their normal work like yeah. while they're working with you guys? Unless there's some really weird situations, yes. During the preparation stages, it's a full-time associateship position until about two months before your opening day. A, a, about a month or two before your opening day, we ask that you scale down because then you can have the extra time in place to go through our dental startup MBA program. We have a dental startup MBA program that we guide doctors through the business of dentistry. So when your practice opens, you're not left with a practice, you're left with a business, right? Structure and protocol and systems and all that stuff. Marketing, all the marketing strategy and all those things. So going back to that staircase, open versus the, the next staircase of successful and the third staircase of fulfilled, she got to experience how this planning process was the solution to achieving all three. See, unfortunately, that open stage, that's where the vast majority of dentists focus. And it's sad. It, I mean, it, it really, it bothers me. I mean, it, it upsets me sometimes when I see these stories of dentists who spend all this time and energy on dental school. And then they try to learn all this stuff about opening up a practice. And they try to learn how to become a lease expert. Right, Rob, you've seen yeah, that. Absolutely. They try to become a lease expert. And then they try to learn how to negotiate for construction. And they try to learn how to negotiate for equipment. And I think, you're crazy. This is your first time ever doing this. Hey, yeah. And you're, you're literally competing against people who have decades and decades of experience learning how to sell you the most expensive construction or sell you the most expensive equipment. You can't win. You can't win going through your first time. You just spent four years in dental school, not negotiating school. So let alone structuring the marketing strategies, let alone the hiring strategies. So I like to say you don't need business experience. You don't need some magic touch to open up a successful startup, but you do have to follow a proven process. You have to follow a very specific set of sequenced events and you have to have most of them go really well, or you could be like, uh, so one person asked, uh, what are, I forget who the person was in that thread of questions, but the person asked a question like, uh, what are some of the failures? Uh, yeah. What are some of the downsides? Um, uh, I think startups now have sort of a, an intriguing, maybe almost sexy kind of sensational feel in some circles. And I, I like to remind people, guys, startups can and do fail. They can and do fail. Just putting it out there. I know I'm not supposed to say that because I'm a startup guy, <laughs> but they do. Um, there's a, I spoke at a, a, one of the biggest lenders in dentistry. I spoke to their team. And as I was talking through the presentation, talking to this big group of banking people, the guys who lend the money, the big banks that lend the money to dentists. As I was talking through our process, teaching them how this works so well, some people on the, up on the top left of the, of the group, they kept peppering me with questions that were questions based on fixing problems, not avoiding problems. They were talking about fixing problems. Well, well, could you ever help somebody who is stuck in this kind of situation? Or what would you do if you know, the lease was going to implode? Or how yeah. could you help a guy who's been open for a month and still, or six months and still hasn't seen a dollar of profit, right? They're asking me those kinds of questions. And I, I paused my presentation. I said, excuse me, just a second. What's your role? Those are really fascinating questions coming from a banker. What's your role here? And it said, we're from the special assets division. I said, what, what is the special assets division? She said, there was a woman amongst three or four of them up there. She said, we're the group that helps doctors who have open practices who are failing. 
Interestingly, Special Assets Division, as an acronym, spells the word SAD. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So I like to think, well, hold up. Whoa, hold on here. If there's a division in the bank that focuses on the special assets, the failing businesses, I think that's that's reason to recognize there there has to be this has to be done right. We can't just launch in. I don't believe you need any special human traits to to do this. I think anybody can do it, as evidenced by doctors all across the country we've helped from all different walks of life, all different age ranges with no business experience or training. They're doing this, but they follow a very specific process. So in our courses, that Startup Practice Blueprint course, I mentioned the open versus successful versus fulfilled. Let's go back all the way to the beginning of our conversation here on the podcast. Like, <laughs> I meant it when I said, let's be intentional. Let's, let's focus with that end result first. Let's focus on fulfillment. Let's focus on how we're going to get there and the other pieces can fall in line. Let's focus on what's going to make you happy and then figure out how to get the other pieces to fit in alignment with that. So that's what we like focusing on. That's so powerful, um, Jamie. And, you know, I, what I hear is, you know, a lot of people, like you said, they focus on the open. They don't even realize that, you know, the fulfilled is ultimately where they want to be until maybe they've been at it miserable for 25 years. You know, it's, um, and, and I think, you know, really it comes back to even the context of the, with, the, uh, with the lenders. You know, I love the fact that dentists have one of the lowest default rates on loans and leases in the country. It's great. I, I built that out when I'm negotiating with, uh, with landlords all the time. But I'm also, you know, I also hear that and it makes me cringe a little bit, you know, which is, you know, is everybody really like you want to do better than just not fail, you know, and, it, and, and in the profession, it really is hard to fail, you know, um, but there's so much between just not failing and being ultimately fulfilled and successful um, that you can, you can put yourself on the, on the right side of that continuum. You know, to just do it to, to not fail is, is a terrible goal. And when you set a low bar for yourself, guess what? You know, you're, you're not really going to go too far above it. Remember who shares those statistics. The, the, the statistics is not failing. Those statistics come from the banks. Right. Now, I love dental lenders. They are necessary. They're great partners, the ones who understand dentistry. Absolutely. But those statistics are coming from the banks. Those refer to default rates, meaning did you foreclose on the business? Well, Rob, let me ask you a question. If you had a startup practice that wasn't doing well, that was not profiting, would you foreclose on the loan or would you get a part-time job to help pay the bills? Oh, part-time job. And I've seen clients that did it. We have clients that, that drives an Uber, um, you know, to, to, to make it. Make now, it also, make it. Jamie and Rob, I think to add from one of my groups yesterday, I, I, or maybe it was uh, the Dental Hacks, uh, we were just talking about something that Rob and I talk about frequently, dual representation brokers and other things, and someone had chimed in. You don't need anyone to help you with anything. The banks are going to make sure everything's fine. And I said, that's like leaving my three-year-old with a bowl of candy, right? And it's like, (laughs) maybe it's not enough candy to make her sick to go to the hospital. She won't starve. But but at the end, I'm going to be like, this was not a good use of this candy, right? So like, I tell the people, you know, this is such a perfect thing for the listener to understand. And it's, Everyone gets very judgmental when you talk about income, right? But it's not meant to be judgmental. But I tell, I was just saying to a buyer coaching client I had yesterday, I referred to Rob, um, you know, the banks, you know, you're going to pay, if you make $60,000 a year and pay the loan, like Rob said, you haven't failed. But as a dentist, that maybe not, is not why you went to dental school, right? So 
Yeah. And it, it's also a lot of stress to work for, you know, $60,000 a year. You know, my wife is a teacher. I have tremendous respect for what she does. And people will say, you know, well, teachers make X, Y, and Z. But, you know, unless you are a dentist like us and working inside people's mouths, it, it's an insanely stressful job. And to not get enough income to feel rewarded for that, it kind of goes back to what you were saying. If the owner's not happy, can you be successful? So if anyone's listening, the banks are not there to protect you from total failure. Well, I also wonder too, and this is something that, you know, the questions are, you know, why do startups fail? I'm kind of curious, you know, and I wish I had thought of this yesterday when I saw the uh, the post. You know, what, what is that person asking? What do they consider to be failure? Are we talking about like, boarding up the, 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 the front door and closing? Or are we talking about just muddling through an unsuccessful career? You know, because to me, they're- dentists have that's been fair. trained on, I probably, didn't, I probably didn't express it clearly or eloquently, but I think what dentists have been trained to associate with that word failure, that the, 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 the bankers and the industry has used this percentage of only whatever it is, 1.5% of dental practices ever fail. But I think it's it's really important to remember that's coming from a bank who probably has a special assets division that is trying to prop up some of those loans. And that also includes all the doctors who, Paul, like we just said, you would get a part-time job too, right? right. You'd get a part-time job before, before you foreclose on that practice. So it doesn't mean that practice is thriving. It just means <laughs> that doctor didn't choose to foreclose on a loan at a practice that's not making money. I mean, you know, just, just to use an example, if, no, if someone says you, how's your marriage going? You don't say, uh, not divorced, right? <laughs> like, like, like your wife would strangle you, right? You know, like, like you know, that's, uh, how are you feeling? Not dead, right? Like, I mean, that's like not a good way to describe it. You come home at the end of the day and walk in. I don't want to divorce you. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's yeah, nice yeah. to see you too. Yeah, right, exactly. So I think that's a really, and I think the three three of us talking about this, because we come at, we each one of us talks to a lot of dentists all the time at different places in our lives, sometimes the same, sometimes different. And, you know, I, I just think dentists are just, it's a career where people are just working by themselves in their own little dental homes and they don't share a lot and they don't really know what's going on with other dentists out there. So, you know, I think it's, it's great you can kind of share your experience with how you help people at startups. I think it's another thing as a practice broker there might not even be enough practices for everybody to buy to become owners, right? You know, so there's, there's that out there too. There's, so one of the things I like to say is uh, to, to avoid being too ethereal with some of my concepts. Sometimes I get too, too cerebral or too ethereal without enough action. So at the risk of that, that topic of being fulfilled, I, I would encourage everybody who's listening, whether you're a practice owner or you're considering a startup or you're considering an acquisition, uh, try to push through these three topics to define, this will literally help you define how you would be happiest in practice ownership, how you would be fulfilled. First is what do you want to be known for in your community? How do you want to be known? Literally write it out, write it out. How do I want to be known? What kind of best possible review could I ever get? Get really clear on what you want to be known for in your community. The second thing is uh, analyze what kind of legacy you want to create or what, how you want to be remembered even at the end of your career. Get clear on what you want long-term even after dentistry, if you can get clear on that. And I'm encouraging you to literally write it down with a real pen and a real piece of paper, <laughs> write it out. And then the third thing is, how do you want to give back? How do you want to give back to society? How do you want to give 
I think it's interesting to look at people like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, some of the wealthiest people in the history of humankind. Those guys now, after amassing all this wealth, they say they're now working harder to give all their money away to important causes than they ever worked to earn their money. So what does that mean? It means, why don't we just start there? Why don't we just start by focusing on the things that we're most passionate about? Let's just start on giving to the cause, the cause or the causes that we're most impacted by. So that's my encouragement to, to focus on that fulfillment level as a practice owner, get clear on those three things and you'll, you'll be at an entirely new level for what you should say no to and what you should say yes to in practice ownership. Does that give some good ideas? That's powerful yeah, stuff. That's, that's awesome. Very, that's very. Is exactly what I'm talking about. The Jamie Amos <laughs> message, right? Yeah, I like it's, that. That's, that's good. Hey, look, so I know, can tell you with, can I give you a little peek? I, I practice what I share with people. I believe um, that. At Ideal Practices, uh, we've made it very clear that every time we open up a startup practice in the United States, we simultaneously provide the funding for 10 startup businesses in third world countries. The technical term for it is called micro lending, but we provide the, the, the small loans so that through a nonprofit partnership, we provide the money so that people in third world countries can get off the ground with small businesses of their own. Like for them, it might be, uh, you know, a, a couple dozen chickens so they can get the eggs and they can take the eggs to market and they can provide an income for their family or maybe a couple cattle, um, you know, those kinds of opportunities for them. They, they, are, they are literally non-existent without a, a little leg up. So every time we open up a startup, that's what we do. So I believe that I am so fulfilled by that and I feel so humbled and honored to be able to play a role in things like that. And through it all, I see, man, the, the power and the opportunity through entrepreneurialism is one of the most powerful forces in, in I think, human existence. The, the opportunity for a small business a, a, a small business has the opportunity to change a community, whether it's here in the United States by dentists transforming healthcare, or to, to change the way we serve people, like an iPhone that changes people's experience, that, that serving model, or like overseas where people are being saved from things like extreme poverty or in some cases human trafficking. Entrepreneurialism can do that, transform communities, change lives. That's why I love startups because we're creating these opportunities to transform people's lives. So focus on that give topic. It is powerful stuff. That's amazing that you guys do that, Jimmy. It really is just it's such an impressive thing. And I'm sure everybody involved feels that, you know, and probably have created, you know, like the uh, raving fans that, you know, kind of follow you forever. How long have you guys been doing the whole startup uh, ideal practice? How many years, like what's your first? First one out there. Uh, well, after I wrote, so I wrote a book four or five years ago. After that book, that's when uh, we had some branding changes and things. Before then, it was just the Jamie Show. Okay. <laughs> and the very first dentist I ever helped was uh, 13 years ago. Oh, nice. Uh, nice. And in his case, he uh, he opened up his practice, and we, I tried combining these concepts of real estate and demographics and small business growth. You know, the, the background that I had. I knew nothing about dentistry, but I combined those ideas with him. He said, hey, James, I'm making good money as an associate, but I hate it. <laughs> Can you help me? <laughs> so we put these ideas together and man, he took off. He did 1.4 million in his first couple of years and this guy, but his real goal was to sell the practice and move to Florida, which is where he is now. Uh, he's said some really nice stuff about me and our experience. 
even just recently, and this is, you know, 13 years in the making, and he's still, the cool thing for him that I think is that it wasn't about just owning a business. It was, it even included him saying, I'm making a good living, but I'm not enjoying it. Let's, could we do something better? And then by following proven systems in small business and real estate and demographics, we were able to create this cool success story. And then he was able to follow what was really meaningful to him, which is move his family to Florida. That's awesome. I was just thinking, maybe yeah, Rob has a couple more questions, but I just want to say one thing. I'm just wondering, as I listen to your story, this is 13 years ago, right? So at some point, your, your initial people are going to come to the end of their career. And I'm wondering if you'll be able to match, like, you know, Surfer Dennis you created 20 years ago with New Surfer Dennis. And some, <laughs> you know, you'll be on the acquisition side. We'll work together. You'll come over yeah. here, you know. Um, yep. Uh, trying to sign them up. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm waiting to sign them up and, uh, 12 years from now. So, you know, that just is, I was thinking you've created this. And you might be able to, to match certain people later. I know that's down the road, but that's what I was just asking. So thanks well, for sharing. Well, the cool thing with what, what you do, Paul, you, you're the guy who's sort of like finally cracked the code on recognizing that buyers need representation. Somebody else asked that question on that list of questions. You are the guy who cracked the code on recognizing how do oh, I thanks. serve people as buyers of practices so that they are served well in buying practice. Guys, if you're going to buy a practice, you must have somebody like Paul on your team who represents your interests. Think of a realtor. No one in their right mind would go buy a house without their own realtor. You need your own realtor, so to speak. But some, for some reason, it's become acceptable in dentistry to just have one person represent both it's, sides of the it's transaction. It's crazy to me, and, and I'm work, weird. working with Rob, I've learned That's so weird. much. But you know, you, when you were talking, Jamie, and I think your model of you know working with the contractors, the lenders, the practice management people, and you're doing that for your clients, right? So you are you are finding the experts and bringing them to your client. You're the center. That's how I feel as a buyer coach. You know, I bring them to people like Rob on the legal end. I bring them to an account. Or Rob may help bring them to an accountant. But you really need somebody in the center for you because I say it's like, you know, it's pretty much the most important decision of your life or one of the most important decisions of your life. I, I kind of look at those big decisions, those, those huge life decisions, a little like uh, – a patient who might come into your practice. So Paul, this might, you might be able to relate to this. Yeah. If, uh, if a patient's coming to your, to your practice and they're considering you for this full mouth reconstruction versus somebody who's done it just once, who do you think they should take advice from? Right. Yeah. And, and, and that cuts both <laughs> right. ways as a dentist. You say that too, like, you know, it's very interesting. You know, the general dentist uh, has a lot of power. The broker has a lot of power actually, because they're the one, you know, and they'll say, you know, well, can't you take out, my son's wisdom teeth. And I use the same thing. Like, I don't do this every day. I want you to go to someone who does it every day. So dentists actually are very familiar with that in their clinical life. But then when they get into their business life, they think, well, I'll just use this one person for everything. And they, you know, that really can lead to some, as Rob sees and I see, and I'm sure you see some, some dangerous outcomes. Well, the people that are sort of advancing that, you know, you can deal with one person have their self-interest in mind, right, you know, yeah, like exactly. there's a reason why, because they can control the information and get the deal over the goal line, whether it, it may not be good for the buyer or the seller, but it's good for them, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly, and, right. Yeah, yeah, that, right. Um, but you know, shame on anybody that, that falls for that. I mean, I, and that was one of the, uh, uh, somebody did post that the other day, uh, you know, basically talk about you know, dual representation. And it's just, there in my world, there's no such thing. You cannot represent both sides of, uh, uh, of a deal. Um, you can't represent, uh, whether you're you know, a broker, whether you're the lawyer, 
um, you know, even from a, from a real estate broker standpoint. I mean, I know I work with a lot of uh, real estate brokers uh, that the ideal practices guys use. And, you know, they're people that are tenant reps. They, they don't represent the, the landlord next week. They represent the tenants and the tenants only, you know, and um, that's, that's important. You know, you can't, you know, the people, you know, we get calls, you know, not infrequently from clients that say, okay, Rob, I've got this lease and uh, I'd like you to take a look at it. And I ask them if they're working with a broker. They say no. I go, oh, okay. Did you just uh, call the number on the sign? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How much TI are they giving you? None. Okay. <laughs> and what's the rental rate? You know, you get through it and then they say, well, then I have to try to put the genie back in the bottle and go and negotiate these business terms. And then they're like shocked, like, wow, I got 40 bucks a square foot to my, for my tenant improvement allowance? How did you do that? Like, <laughs> I asked. And then they say, but the broker who represented the, the, the landlord, he said it was a good deal. Exactly. I think that's what Rob said. Is so, but so I think true, there's a whole Jamie. thing we could do, and I want to write it down. Like, they hope you don't ask this. And then, you know, if you get someone on your side who asked this for you, magical, thing hap- magical things happen, like Rob said. But the person who's trying to get it over the goal line without you asking, that's the problem. So, yeah, that's a, well, that's a great point. Well, Paul, there, and, and, and Jamie knows this, too. We've talked about this. And, and the, if, if, if a real estate broker represents the landlord and somebody comes to that broker, they, they call the number on the sign, they get a different deal. You know, they'll go to the owner and they'll say, you know, did they have a, is there a broker involved? No. Then give them this. And it's not a better deal. I think sometimes people think like they could save money if there's only one broker and somehow like that their half of the commission is somehow going to be like put back into their deal. No, it's the exact opposite. They're like, oh, we've got, you know, we've got a chump. Yeah, right. Give them the yeah, chump yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's a, yeah. That's great. So Stephen, we, we all know and love uh, Stephen, the director of consulting and partner with me at Ideal Practices. Stephen has now successfully worked with over 500 startups. I mean, you get this guy talking about startups and it's just mind-blowing every time he's an, an, an incredibly wise experienced person on this topic and he always laughs about brokers <laughs> he says guys i see it all the time a, a, a realtor gets a deal done or a broker gets a deal done and then they go out with the drinking buddies of the person at the other end of the deal the real estate deal they go out <laughs> they go to the golf course and they they clink their glasses and they say hey cheers to us we just got a signature so they are motivated to get a signature on paper. They're not necessarily, their compensation plan, their motives, their business motives don't necessarily protect the doctor. No. They don't, they're not there to protect the doctor. They're there so they can clink their glasses at the golf course. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad thing. It's just, that, those are their motives. Those, that is their incentivization is geared toward clinking their glasses after a signature, not necessarily keeping you safe. There's a doctor in Nashville that we worked with and his, his uh, real estate broker, who was representing him, get this, his broker represented him. He had an attorney look it over. Um, and uh, my team looked through the lease, 85-page lease, very heavy-handed lease. And I said, the broker, the realtor, the realtor said, uh, this thing's good to sign. We're good to go. The realtor, the landlord looked it over. You're good. Well, I looked through the lease. One of the clauses in there literally said, tenant is disallowed from having any hazardous materials on the premises. Paul, 
Are there any hazardous right, yeah, materials yeah. in your spike That's right. It's all hazardous. <laughs> yeah, all, you got to keep those little sheets or they're online now for all the things we use in the office. So, right, exactly. But, you know, though, Jamie, like, that's you exactly your, your point, but though. Like, you, you know, you say, I you don't know, think the realtor's done... a bad guy. Yeah. I don't think he's a bad guy, the realtor. I think no. he's, you know, maybe he's doing he his job. He's, the thing is, you know, and that, that's where, you know, if, if, you've, if you're a dentist and you've never been through any of these processes before and you think you can do it on your own, you don't know all this. You know, you have, Stephen has done 500 startups. I don't even know how many you've done, similar or more. It's the giant numbers, you know. I've done a ton. You know, it's like if, if somebody thinks that they can just sidestep all that experience, they don't know all that. You can size that up in a second. Stephen can, I can say, Hey, you know what? You're listening to the wrong person. This is not. This is not. You're not getting good advice. You know, and but they don't know that. You know, and if you don't avail yourself yeah. of somebody that's done it more than zero times before, then you know you're again shame on you. And and those people end up you know getting you know bad deals oftentimes. You know, uh, bad deals are they so bad that they're going to fail, quote unquote, fail with the lights go off? Maybe not. Are they going to go on to be fulfilled? Probably not. You know? um, interesting. Another question that was on the the, uh, the border. I think it was uh, Sandy Pardo uh, commented about you know bad locations, and Paul has said this before. I mean, it's it's so it's easy to, to, to sign a lease. It's easy to buy a practice. It's very difficult. I'm going to steal you, yeah, your line ahead. here because yeah. you've stolen some of sure, my lines. Many. Um, that it, but it's hard to get rid of one. Sometimes, especially if it's not a good one or if it's an underperforming one. I know, you know, what you do, Jamie, is there's a very big emphasis put on, uh, on demographics. And you've, you've obviously, as you said, you've written a book about the subject. If you can, just talk about that for, for a few minutes, uh, like what, how you approach that and why, uh, why it's important and how that fits into the process with ideal practices. Yeah, great question. And thanks to Sandy Pardue. Shout out to Sandy. She's one of the most formidable um, legacy consultants in dentistry. She's got one heck of a reputation. So, uh, Sandy, thanks for the question. And uh, thanks for the kudos there in the comment. Um, the, the opinion that my team and I have developed over the years is that demographics is misconstrued by, by so many who are trying to convince dentists that the right location is based on a mathematical number. But that's not true. <laughs> For example, here, here's what I get asked all the time. Jamie, you wrote the book on location. I want to open up a practice. Where should I go? And I say, well, tell me about yourself. They say, no, no, I'll go anywhere. I'll, do, I'll, I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll, my bags are ready to be packed. I can go anywhere. I'm mobile. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Just tell me where to go. And I say, okay, zip your suitcase first. Good, zip your suitcase. Now I'm going to tell you where to buy airfare. Here we go. You ready? Alaska. Go to Alaska. Well, ah, I don't want to go to Alaska. <laughs> I like my town. Ah, you like your town. So what we're really talking about is what you like, isn't it? Oh, maybe it is. So I think it's first important to remember to start with what are you going to be fulfilled by? Let's, let's at least start analyzing that because the math won't make you happy long term. It just won't make you happy long term. Now, there's a place for the math and there's a place for the demographics, those, those numbers on those, all those reports. There's a place for those. But most importantly is where will you be happy? And then in that region, how do we look for your ideal patient? 
How do we find your ideal patient and an, and an abundance of them? So that statistically speaking, Paul, like you and I were talking about, how do we fill the practice with 2,000 of your favorite patient? Maybe not all 2,000 are going to be, but let's, let's game the system. Let's reverse engineer this a little bit so we can get as many as possible in your practice. So let's start with where you're gonna be happy. Let's find a place that has an abundance of your ideal patients. And then we can look at the demographics or the competition ratios or all those reports and analyses on all those, all those, all that math. The, the math is important. The math is important. But let's figure out we're going to be happy. Then inside of all that, once we have a town, once we have a region, then we can start looking at real estate. So my big kind of mind bender that kind of messes with a lot of people's heads is I say, do not look at buildings. Don't look at buildings. They don't matter yet. We don't even know what town you're going to be in. Don't be swayed emotionally by a building until we know which region is right for your long-term fulfillment in practice ownership. So if that gives you a little peek at the, the location selection process, uh, you get it wrong, you're stuck for a decade or more, right? You get it wrong, you're trapped. You can't undo that. Yeah, that's for sure. And then I think really the only other question that I recall on the post uh, last couple of days in the Facebook group was uh, really asking questions about financing. You know, maybe we could just talk about that briefly. You know, how much money, you know, should you save for a startup and just talking about adequate capital and financing. Is there any sort of myth or anything that you think is a, something good for, for people to know if there's one or two, you know, takeaways that are important when it comes to financing, Jamie? Whew. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, let's see. So I guess a couple of the most important things is do not be distracted by the two things bankers want you to focus on, rate and term. Everybody knows, I should get a great rate, great term. What's your interest rate? How low can I get the rate? For, for the safety of your future and your family and your finances, don't be distracted by rate and terms. What's most important for all I know is startups, right? What's most important for startups is a proper cash flow solution. We have to have a proper cash flow solution that is created through your loan. What the heck does that mean, Jamie? Well, basically, we don't want a loan that has a really high monthly payment. If we have a, a just imagine, if you've got expenses that are four or $5,000 more per month, you're gonna run out of money real fast. So I like to say, let's focus on getting you the right loan product, not the right rate and term as the top priorities. If rate and term is all that mattered, loan documents would be one page long, hmm. but they're like 50 or 70 or 100 <laughs> pages long, <laughs> right? If, all, if that's all that really mattered, the banks wouldn't need all the other papers. It's not about rate and term. Those are important, but they're not the first or second or third priority. What's most important for a startup is proper cash flow solutions. Does that give a good? Totally. I mean, if you can't keep the lights on, then I mean, as far as I know, there's no award or prize for for getting the lowest interest rate. You know, at the, at the cost of operating your business. Like, hey, I'm out of business, but man, I had a great rate. <laughs> you know, I got I, I got I got four and a half percent on that loan. Is that great? Yeah, but you don't have a practice anymore. Yeah, but my rate was good. Give me some kind of award. You yeah, know, right. like. Yeah, so I, I totally, I totally agree with you there, Jamie. Well, this has been—it's uh, been a lot of fun. Um, 
Jamie, I, you know, thanks so much for coming on. I you know, just want to wrap it up uh, for the next couple of minutes. Um, do you have any, uh, any events coming up that you want to uh, talk about or let people know about? Well, I mentioned that Start Texas Blueprint course, and we're just, I mean, we are just thrilled. Uh, the townie meeting, Dental Town, and the townie organization, they chose the Startup Practice Blueprint course to be the first and only ever two-day breakout workshop. Oh, nice. So our event, the, the Startup Practice Blueprint course, it's a two-day long event, and this is the first time they've ever done it. So we are really honored and humbled that they've chosen us for this. So uh, the, the Startup Practice Blueprint course is a mind-blowing experience. It's not just a bunch of tabs and papers that get shoved down your throat or a big binder that you throw in your closet when you get home. It's actually an experience that shows you how to do this. So I love it. it we, don't, we limit it to 24 people. It sells out months in advance. So I don't know. By the time this is released, we'll, I don't, maybe there will still be seats left. But it's, um, if you want to see what it's like or even see if you can qualify to apply for the next one, there's an application process, um, you can check it out. Do you mind if I drop the URL here? No, please don't. Okay, the website address. Go right ahead. It's idealpractices.com. So idealpractices.com slash course. Idealpractices.com slash course that, can, that'll be in the show notes too. Course. Yeah. okay cool they'll be in the show notes. um you can apply for the course there you can see what other doctors say about it it is a really fun time and big eye-opener aha moments uh, literally one doctor said my mind was blown you might even see a, a, a case study from a doctor who attended the course saying my mind was blown by coming to this course so it's a really uh it's a great experience so if you're interested in a startup uh i would recommend checking out the course yeah, I've I've actually had the privilege of, of attending some of them, and I can say it's it is a great uh, it's a great course, and it because it's a small group, there's there's a lot of personal contact with uh, with Jamie and Stephen Trutter and and the rest of the team and the and the uh, the experts that they work with, and the other professionals, and it's it's a very hands-on event. You know, it's not you're not sitting in the back of the room uh, <laughs> dropping out. I mean, everybody's participating, and you, know, you get a really focused group there. I I, I think it's a great uh, a great thing for people to do. And uh, Jamie, it's pretty awesome. The successes that we see come out of those courses, they are, they inspire me. I mean, the doctors who come out of those courses, they, they are accomplishing things that some doctors wait decades to accomplish. I mean, they, they love their practices. They're making great incomes and they're, they're really happy with, so that's, that's the most important thing for me. Are they transforming their communities and are they fulfilled? And uh, we've, we've had some really good feedback on those topics. Yeah. And, and Jamie, how can, uh, how can people connect with you and, uh, and Ideal Practices? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those guys who's, uh, who doesn't hide. I'm pretty accessible. <laughs> uh, you can hit me up on email. It's uh, just Jamie at, ready, here's a mouthful. This is like the worst URL ever. It's Easy to Jamie remember that. openadentaloffice.com. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's the most descriptive and worst website address ever, but it works. Jamie, Jamie at, at how to open a dental office.com <laughs> got it we'll, we'll make sure again that, that that's up on the, the show notes so everybody nobody has to worry about writing that down you'll be able to, to click it and, and go right there from, from from the link it's really hard to type because there's a couple of o's that go side by side so your eyes play tricks on you <laughs> how to open what so <laughs> I, I know I, I when I write it I, I capitalize each of the, the new words yeah, just so right. I keep track of it <laughs> Mine's not much better, you know, uh, my, my email. Our, our URL is yourdentallawyer.com, but the, my email address is rmontgomery-law. You know, it's like, 
I, I feel sorry for my 11-year-old when she's trying to send me emails. She's like, Dad, why did you get that lousy <laughs> domain? I'm like, I thought it was cool at the time. <laughs> you know? Good stuff. Well, this is awesome, guys. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, great this stuff, is, Jamie. I enjoyed I, it. It was great to connect with you. I hope you come and see us in person sometime soon. Yeah, thanks so much, Jamie. You guys, I, you guys, I, I predict the... Uh, one of the most popular podcasts in dentistry, just the yin and yang of you guys together and coming straight out of Philly with cheese whiz. Like, <laughs> yeah. is there a possibility of anything better? <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jamie. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.